Hey, everybody, this is Ian Morgan Cron, host of the podcast Typology, the show on which we explore the mystery of the human personality and the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. <laughs> I, I am sitting here in the studio above my garage in Nashville, Tennessee, with my dear friend of many years, Antonio Skinerio. Ian Cron, the wildly successful podcast typology with over 22 million downloads now. Whoa, I didn't even know that. That's I am I am self-impressed. <laughs> hey, I'm wow. excited about today's show. This is part two of something we rolled out uh, part one of last week, and we're continuing our conversation with Andy Stanley. Yeah, I mean, I love Andy Stanley. We, this was such a rich conversation. It was all about decision-making mm -hmm. and about the Enneagram and how each type makes decisions and how it re reacts to people's decisions. Mm -hmm. And it was so helpful, and people have said to me, man, this wasn't only great for me learning about decision-making in my personal life, but also in my professional life. Because, you know, Understanding how you make decisions in the workplace is mission critical. Game changer. Right, for everybody. And also yeah. knowing how other people make decisions. And why they make the decisions they And why they make, they make yeah. the decisions they do is oh, critical it is. In, in the workplace, right? So let's get right to this, okay? This is the show, part two of the show I did with Andy Stanley on the Enneagram and decision. So the last time we were together, we, we discussed how each of the nine Enneagram personality types approaches making decisions. Yep. And it's been a, a fascinating exercise for me. You know, the Enneagram is an ancient personality typing system, teaches there are nine basic personality styles in the world. And one of the things it teaches you is that uh, everybody sees the world through a different lens. And I tell leaders all the time, one of the most egregious mistakes they can make is to presume that their way of seeing the world is normal. Hmm. Because if you believe that, that means when you meet people who see the world differently than you do, you will judge them, right? right. As either abnormal or incompetent, right? Yeah, and I remember last time we were together, I think your statement was there are nine normals. That's right. And I've remembered that That's because right. it's, again, it's difficult not to take, not to assume that my normal is the normal. Go That's ahead. That's right. I interrupted. No problem. So I think um, to our, our topic today is really going to be fun, and I've, I've loved thinking about it and getting ready for it. Well, today uh, we're going to continue on the theme of decision making, but this time around we're going to talk about how other people's decisions impact us or not so much impact us how we process decisions that are made that impact us as it relates to our enneagram number and as fascinating as last month's podcast conversation was this one is really interesting because we all know we have a pattern when it comes to responding to other people but specifically responding to decisions other people make that impact us. Mm -hmm. And where I think today's conversation is going to be so helpful is not simply understanding how we respond, but being reminded, as you just said, that our decisions that impact other people impact them potentially nine different ways. So mm -hmm. let's jump in. Yeah, okay. Well, let's have at it. Um, just by way of framing this, uh, you know, whenever we talk about different Enneagram types uh, or personalities, um, we're talking about probabilities, right? Uh, I can't predict with complete certainty uh, how an Enneagram type will respond when others make decisions that affect them, but 
based on my experience, I think I can tell you how I think, how they probably right. will, will respond. But people surprise us all the time, mm -hmm. right? So there's a disclaimer to get us going to, for clarity's sake. So type one, the improvers, right? I think in general, uh, improvers will support a decision that affects them if certain criteria are met, okay? Three of them. I'd say one is they trust the person making the decision has integrity. The second one would be that the rationale and the process behind the decision is clearly explained. And then thirdly, if they believe the decision is the ethical and responsible thing to do and it's for the greater good. And I think those are the criteria that will inspire a one to comply or be okay with a right. decision someone else has made mm -hmm. that affects them. Uh, as a one, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I do not, even as a leader, I don't feel compelled to make all the decisions. But that is how I process a decision that in some way informs something I have to do. If I have to publicly acknowledge or support a decision, if there's anything slightly unethical, right. that, that is such a red flag for me. Not because I always do everything, not because I'm perfect, but in terms of agreeing to somebody else's decision, the, the, the ethics um, the the ethical part or the ethical component of a decision or the ethical ramifications of a decision are a huge deal for me. So that's... Yeah, yeah most ones will protest a decision that affects them if they discover the person making it bent or broke the rules uh, to do it, if, if established procedures and protocols weren't followed in yep, about the decision yep. being made, or if they perceive... The decision is unfair uh, and, and was made for the sake of expediency. Yep. That, yep. You want to talk about type twos? Yeah. Yeah, let's talk two. about those helpers. Warm, caring, supportive, generous. They're going to support decisions that genuinely help or meet the needs of others, even if backing it requires the helper to make personal sacrifices. A helper is going to struggle to go along with a decision if it was made without taking the their feelings and the feelings of others into consideration mm -hmm. or if it threatens relationships between people. So the one is fine if it's the right thing to do. The two is fine as long as we take into consideration not simply that it's the right thing to do, but how is this going to make other people feel? Not just how is it going to affect how it's going to affect them. It's how are they going to how are they have we taken into consideration how they're going to feel about it? Yes, this? exactly. Because as a one, that's not my primary go-to. No. So this, this is helpful. Yeah. Again, just learning difference and mm -hmm. having appreciation for difference. Because one of the things you need in the room when you're making a decision is a two that can say, hey, Andy, this is a, I understand your decision. Now, how are we going to bake into our calculations how people will feel about it? Which has a lot to do with how we communicate the decision. Yes, and by the way, no one is better at enlisting other people's, getting other people to buy into a decision than a two. Hmm. Because? They're, because they're so uh, interpersonal, they're, they're so socially adept and persuasive, uh, and their, their, their enthusiasm is contagious. So. so if you win the twos over, you've just, you've just um, created a raving fan about a decision that once they... Once they move into the organization as a fan of the decision, um, 
that's a yeah. that's a win for a leader. They're a walking advertisement for the wisdom of wow. the decision. Wow. So again, not to stay on this for too long, but as a one, I'm learning as we have this discussion. So it would be important for me, even if I'm genuinely um, concerned about how it how a decision impacts someone else. It would be important for me to make sure the twos understand that I've thought that through, yep. that I've taken that into consideration, mm-hmm. that I listen to the feedback they may have about how it impacts people that I may have missed, and at least acknowledge I have we've taken that into consideration. Yes, that's for a two. That's probably all they need to get on to get on board with a the right decision. Right to know that people have at least taken that into consideration. I would guess. Yes, and it'd be very wise for you with twos, uh, as the decision is implemented and goes forward, that you at every opportunity express appreciation to them for supporting the decision and getting out there and representing mm-hmm. the decision in a positive light. Wow. So threes, how do threes imp- uh, respond to decisions that? impact them yeah well so unlike improvers right uh threes the performers are more guided by practical considerations than by ideals say that again so the threes they're the performers they want to be they're the most popular they're the i wouldn't say they're the most popular well i'm sorry they like to be i I understood threes love to be the most popular they like to um be the most successful okay the most successful yeah in fact if you asked a three, would you rather be liked or respected? They'll say respected if they if they're really? being honest. Oh yeah. I thought it was the opposite with a three. No, they okay. they want to be admired, okay, uh, but they want to be perceived as successful and avoid failure at all costs, okay. So they're going to be guided by practical considerations. More, you know, they're they're going to be more concerned about those than by ideals. You're going to be more concerned about ideals, okay. So when others make decisions that affect them, a res, sort of a results-focused performer is going to ask the question, will this decision clear a path to the quickest, most efficient way of achieving the goal? Hmm. And if it is, they're on board. If not, they're frustrated. Hmm. So it's about, again, the finish line. Yes. And the fours? They're tricky, man. <laughs> they are and tricky. just to remind our audience, Ian is a four, so he knows what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, so, so when others make decisions that affect them, an individualist is going to ask, will agreeing or supporting this decision require me to compromise my values? So let me give you an example of this. Um, I worked with a company. They had a Ford designer, a brilliant sort of... Uh, Design did all of their brochures, and they they, they did, you know, high end kind of stuff, uh, mailed brochures, right? And um, they worked incredibly hard on it. Brought it to the person in charge, and they discovered that it was going to cost about fifty bucks per, you know, brochure brochure oh, wow. because it was so beautifully done, right? And that four wouldn't compromise. Hmm. You know, they said you got to get, you got to go cheaper. You got to do this. You gotta, they're like, nope, nope. It's got to be the expensive paper. It's got to be yep. four color. Yep. Yep. You ask me to compromise my values. So, I would just say that there, it's going to be, be related to values for fours. And if it requires them to compromise values, then they're not going to go along hmm. with a decision that's being, you know. Yeah. So what do you do in that situation? Wrong. Because I, you know, we, you know, we love graphic designers we love the artists um 
And again, it's very personal. It's an expression of their soul. And now we want to shorten it. And, you know, we, can we cut the verse? And we don't really like that word. And it can't be that big. And we don't like yellow. And, you know, all of that feels, right. it, that's so heavy to them. So you're in a meeting with a four. They raise their hand and they offer a suggestion about something that, that you should do. As long as you recognize them in the moment uh, by saying something like, you know, Bob or Jane, um, thank you for what you always bring to the table, which is a creative angle on how we might do things, but we're going to go in this direction. They'll be completely fine with it. Hmm. But if you don't recognize it, right, then you'll have a resentful four on your hands. But how do you approach the four who has presented their idea and again, it's, it's an expression of what's on the inside of them, and we can't do it, or we can't do it that way, or by the time we finish with their idea, they're not going to be as proud of it, or I've been in meetings where I could tell, or actually the actual response was, just don't associate my name with it, right. because what I've presented you, I'll sign, but by the time you print it, or record it, or present it, right. Um, it's so different than what I brought in here. I'm not sure. There, it is so personal. Do you yes. know what I'm talking about? Oh, I do. So what's the, what's the win? Or how? You know... Um, as a four. I'm asking you as a four. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think for me, um, I have a very strong three wing. So I like to get a job done, and I'm willing to compromise. I'm almost 60 years old. I've learned, you know, as a younger man... I wouldn't compromise. You know, when I was a songwriter, I would not compromise. Right. Now I've learned that, you know, to be more of a critical thinker, not just a feeler, realizing that at times to get things done and out the door, you got to make compromises. Yep. But with a young four, it's very hard. And this goes back to something we talked about last month. Again, if you did not listen to last month's podcast, please go back and listen. We talked about self-awareness. Yes. That the um, common denominator of some of the most successful people in the world, successful leaders, is not their Enneagram number. It's self-awareness. Right. And so what you just described is self-awareness that comes with time and with age and with experience. Um, and there, you just don't die on every hill over every verse and color and size and how thick the paper is. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, and just like, guess what? Live with your disappointment. Yeah. You know, that's just how it goes, <laughs> Welcome man. to life, right? Yeah, welcome <laughs> to life, you know? I mean, as a leader, you know, sometimes you guys make hard decisions. They disappoint people. You do your best to uh, support them in the disappointment. But if they, if they don't receive it, that's on them. Yeah. Quick story. Um, we can cut this if you don't like the story. Quick story. Um, you may not know this about me. I um, I did a lot. Wrote a lot of music too when I was younger. And a friend of mine, Donna Douglas, and I um, wrote a, a couple of, of musicals, youth musicals for churches for students when I was much younger. And um, I was invited to a church to see them perform this musical that I wrote with Donna. And it was there were some drama pieces and acting and you know a set and it was horrible not the musical the performance of the musical and i knew at the end the leader of this church was going to have me stand up and introduce oh and we're so glad to have andy stanley he's he's here and he actually wrote the music and the wrote the script for the and i knew that was coming at the end and i was so embarrassed by the performance of what i had seen done because we'd done it at our church and i'd seen some extraordinary 
expressions of what I thought was this great music and this great story, I, it took everything in me not to leave, <laughs> I'm serious, not to leave before it was over so that I wasn't introduced and associated with this horrible <laughs> presentation. So um, I don't know, that I don't have much for in me, but there was a, you know, if, if you're not gonna do it the way I, I wrote it or created it, then please don't associate me with it. So anyway, moving on. Moving on. Moving on. So when fives uh, have decisions made that impact them, how do fives respond? You know, I think um, when others make the decisions that affect fives, um, they're going to say, let me see the facts. Hmm. Let me see the data. Or did you look at the data? Right. And if they sense that uh, you did and your case is clear, they'll get behind you. Hmm. What they won't get behind you for is if they, they feel like you made this decision based on emotions or on an intuition. And, you know, fives overprivilege intellect, actually. Hmm. They need a little bit more intuition. You know, you know what I'm saying? A little bit more feeling. But, but really, when it comes down to it, the number one thing that's going to matter to them is data and the facts. So it's, hey, I looked at what you gave me. I appreciate the data. I, I took this into consideration. Um, I read what you, I read the report, whatever it might be. We're going in a different direction, but thank you. And, and um, please continue to provide me with this kind of information. Just because I, I didn't, it didn't go your way this time, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want that to discourage you from continuing to provide this kind of objective data that right. sort of a response you know i i'm a four very feeling based person one of my best friends is a five every time i have to make a decision that requires a non-emotional objective viewpoint i call him i give him the information i said i got too many feelings i need I'm you too close to this i'm yeah. too close yeah. to this i got too many feelings uh, i need you to go through in your own mind what you think i should do based on the facts and and inevitably he gives me great counsel and probably 90 percent of the time i, I follow it hmm. i mean that's the beauty of the enneagram right yep. is you got these nine normals i know that my normal does not include that gift yep you know well again it's it's self-awareness it's why this is such a valuable tool again in understanding our kids our spouses and you know the dynamics at work so moving on, the sixes, how do sixes respond when a decision impacts them? Yeah, these are the loyalists, right? Um, when others make decisions that affect them, sixes will initially be anxious and possibly suspicious hmm. that there are ulterior motives at play, right? The sixes have, usually have issues around authority figures, right? Uh, and, you know, does this person have a hidden agenda? Can I trust them? Now, once, once you've won their trust, they're with you for life, like nobody's business. Hmm. But at first, they're a little hesitant to, to buy in, right? So they're going to ask you a lot of questions as a leader, right? And don't, don't uh, misinterpret that as disloyalty, okay? What's going on there is um, they want to know if you have thought through the big picture and you have seen all the potential problems and you have a contingency plan hmm. in place should those problems arise. You know? Because they're fear-based, right? They're fear-based, um, and they they just want to know. Th they're fear-based about what could go wrong. They're, right. They're, 
they'll look at any plan. Because They're the they've first already person. run down all those paths in their mind anyway. They just want to make sure you've at least yeah. <laughs> at least glanced yeah. down some of those paths. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so here's what a friend of mine who was a pastor used to do. If he was announcing, a, let's say, a building campaign, mm-hmm. he'd have an all-church meeting. And then he'd have a second all-church meeting to cover the same material. Because if we think there are more sixes in the population than any other type. So he, he knew that the sixes in the room, they tend to, you know, they'll listen to the information, chorus of voices. They're not the first one to raise their hand and ask a question. So he has the second meeting for the sixes who've had time to think about it, then to raise their hands. Because he knows if he doesn't have the sixes on board, yep. this thing's not going forward. Wow. Now, another application of that, that's a, I've never associated that with um, Enneagram numbers, but I've learned through the years one of the best ways to end a phone call is to say to someone, hey, if you think of something later on that you wish you had asked me, or if you think of something later on that you forgot to say, this is, you've got my cell number, text me, call me, because that happens. People are like, yes. oh, they either didn't have the nerve to say it, they felt like I was rushed, or they didn't think of, as soon as they get off, we've all done that, you get off the phone, you think, oh, I should have asked. So I always try to end those, especially a conversation that's a difficult conversation, right. to say, if you know, if you think of something later, just call me. And at yep. the six, I guess, is the one that, most oh my likely going to call me Music back to or because they're going to need to think. Yeah, right? They, right. So here's the deal with sixes. They tend to self-question, okay? So they're going to be going over the information they heard in their head. They need a lot of time to sort of process it. Um, and they're going to ask you those questions. And what you want to do is answer all of them. Hmm. Because uh, if you don't, and... You end the conversation by going, oh, you're such a pessimist, you know. They're going to say, no, I'm not. I'm a realist. Mm, yeah. You know? And once that you exhaust their questions, they will, sometimes they're called the troopers. Because once they're behind you. They'll sign on, yeah. They, oh, you know, when they say I do, it's forever. And again, this goes back to something we've talked about before, but bears repeating. It's so important for those of us in leadership not to confuse someone who's asking a question with being questioned. Right. And it's so easy for that switch to flip in my mind. Oh, you're question you're not simply asking a question, you're questioning me. And it is there is never a win in responding as if you are being questioned. I've learned even when you know you're being questioned, it's still better to respond and, and assume the best on the, the questioner, even if it's a gotcha question, to right. just play along like you're dumb, like, oh, well, that's a great question. But for the six, if I communicate you're, I'm being questioned, I've lost them right. because now I'm suspect, and they're already suspect to that's begin right. with. So that's great. Okay, what about sevens? How do sevens respond when— <sighs> Boy, they're tricky. Now, you know this is a dad of a seven. I, I, I have a seven as well. They'll resist any decision that imposes too many limitations or restrictions on them. Hmm. Any, any decision that closes down options— uh, escape plans, you know, uh, they're going to ask themselves, does the decision, does the decision leave me any wiggle room, you know, mm-hmm. to take my own course, you know, this is what, this is how my seven growing up responded constantly. Do I have to, yes. do I have to, do I have to? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Finally, we laugh about this. He's in his, he's 27 now or 26. Um, and so I finally shut it down when he was old enough to understand this response. I said, Garrett, you don't have to, but you need to understand now that you're this tall, 
no one can make you do anything for the rest of your life. They can only keep you from doing things. And prisons are for people <laughs> where we keep them from doing things because you can't make an adult do anything. So no, you don't have to. And he looked at me, and I don't think he ever asked me that again. <laughs> Now, I'm not suggesting that this is a parenting principle. I'm just sharing a story. Yeah. But it's the seven. It's like, okay, wait, you just put me in a box. Right. So are there, tell me the options, tell me the options. So it's, you know, do I have to, do I have to? So anyway. Yeah, and they're definitely not going to follow a decision that's going to cause them to experience too many distressing psychological or emotional Life feelings. is about having fun. Yeah. Yeah. They have a half range of emotions really you know fun to ecstasy hmm. but everything after that like grief sadness you know it's not when i mean negative feelings for like a seven stuck boredom those are feelings that are intolerable yep. if they go too long right so if a decision is made and it's going to lead to some of those things they can see it coming they're not going to be real happy that's about so it. important and again going back to my seven at home Garrett is our most fun person, yes, yes. and he has helped me. I tell him this now that he's an adult. He helps me think in terms of experiences that are enjoyable rather than just work, work, work all the time. It, has, it really has kind of pulled me out of some of the ruts that I can get into so easily as a one where everything has to be moving forward and, you know, right. perfect. And, uh, but, I, again, to those of you who are parents, this is why you need to read this book while your kids are still living at home. And, and Sandra and I have said to him, we would have been a much better parent to you as a seven because we're both ones. Right. So we just want to make things better. Right. And that is fun to us. Fun is we made something better. Right. And he's like, what are we going to do next? You know, yeah. when, when? Yeah. So um, I would have been a much better parent to my seven if I had had this book way back then. Do you want to so. hear one of my worst parenting moments with a seven? Absolutely. <laughs> Make me feel better. We are in Greenwich, Connecticut. It's New Year's Eve. Um, we lived there for a number of years, but we've been gone now for quite some time. We, so we have no friends, no parties, nothing to do. So I say to my seventh son, Aiden, hey, you want to go to the movies tonight? He's like, yeah, let's go to the movies, you know? And uh, he, he said, you, you pick one, okay? And I said, great. So... What movie do you think I took him to see on New Year's Eve? Manchester by the Sea. Oh now, if you know anything about... Now, how old was he? I was 15. Okay. Um, I want you to tell you, it is the, probably one of the most depressing films known to humankind, <laughs> okay? Now, I, as a four, am like... Oh, you felt it. Oh, yeah. It was beautifully done, well acted. <laughs> I mean, everything about the ending was so authentic, right? Meanwhile, he's next to me, like, you know, like needing a drip bag of antidepressants. Do you know what I'm saying? And he looks at me, he goes, I need a streamer, <laughs> a balloon, anything. Get me out of this theater. So that was that was a moment where I lacked enough self-awareness. I probably should have taken him to see, you know, something a little bit lighter than Manchester by the Sea. <laughs> Bad moment. But you were taking him to a movie. Yeah, so you, you picked you a got four a movie. movie. You picked a four movie. You didn't pick a seven. Movie. That's right. Yeah. You know, next time, next time, eights, eights. Love them. How challenges. do eights respond? And this is important because, as I mentioned last time, our my podcast producer, who is over all of our broadcast, actually is an eight, and she's sitting here listening to us. So yep. 
What do I, what do, how is she impacted when I make a decision that impacts her? Uh, so understand something first about AIDS. They hate anyone telling them what to do. So she I has can, a mask on, so I can't see her expression, yeah, well, but I think she smiles. In general, they don't like it when people tell them what to do. Yep. Um, and they, and here's another interesting thing about them. They are controlling of environments and other people, but there's one thing they hate more than anything else, which is when others try to control them, okay? So uh, if you want an aide to do something, just tell them not to do it, and they'll do it. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like they have that streak to them, right? Um, so they're gonna resist or fight back when anyone tries to, to control them, right? So when a decision is made that they're not a part of, and they're informed, oh, this decision has been made, therefore you have to or you can't, they're right. going to resist. resist. Yeah, if not, fight back, okay? Now, they're gonna comply with the decision that affects them so long as the decision maker, um, the person in charge, is strong, decisive, knows where they're heading, tells the truth, nothing but the truth, the whole truth, mm -hmm. even if the truth is horrible news, keeps the lines of communication open, and does not divert from the plan. They, they need a strong leader. If they have that, the decision maker leader, they, they will follow you up a cliff. And when you say divert from the plan, okay, here's the decision, here's what you need to do. They don't necessarily like it, but if I'm gonna ask them to do something they don't necessarily like, I better stick with what I've asked them to do and not start changing it along the way. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I know I'm about? saying the, the overall plan. Okay, you have an overall plan. They're not gonna like it if you start waffling. I got you. If you yep. start self-doubting, if you start self-questioning, right. the aides gonna like throw their hands up in the air and go, what, you wanna change the plan now? Or we should stick to the plan, right? So you're smiling right now as I say that. Does that because now, you- Well, I work with several aides and that is so true. Yeah. And it is on me and here's how I try to remember to end all of my, uh, really all of my meetings now, but I've learned this from working with aides. It, today, I had a directional team meeting with um, five staff, and I, I, I try to remember to do, to do this every time. Is there anything you need from me? This is the last, this is the end of the meeting. Before we've done, we've done all the agenda, um, are there any questions I need to answer for you to make sure, to, to, you know, so that you can continue doing what you're doing? Is there anything you need from me? Because I've learned with eights, they're further down the road than I am in so many cases, but because I'm the boss, I can be an impediment to their progress. Well, their right. progress is my progress. Right. We're all making progress together. So if I don't answer the questions quick enough, or if I, again, in my oneness where I'm trying to make the perfect answer or you know, I need more time to think about it, um, that is very frustrating to an eight. And I don't want the eights to be frustrated because they, you know, they're kind of the rocket ships. I mean, they're, yeah. they're the jet fuel. They're they're the get things done and momentum so, yeah it's all about forward momentum yeah. right and i and like eights i love progress as well i want to make things better so yeah. the difference is that an eight will at times not uh, take the time to think through or consider everything that could happen as a result of their action you hmm. will think a lot longer about those types of things down the road yeah right but man nose and tackle 
you you want some eights around you, yep. babe. And those of you who are listening um, in leadership roles, you either are an eight or you work around some work with eights. There's when you read the book or as you become more and more familiar with Enneagram, you're going to recognize, especially if you are an upper level management in any capacity, you you know they're to your left or to your right because that's where <laughs> eights generally end up yep. if they're healthy enough to maintain you know relational integrity along the way. And um, working with or managing an eight is an art. And yes. uh, um, I, you know, I love the eights. But again, a self-aware, mature eight, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure to work with them. Oh, they yeah. make everything better. And because there's so much forward progress and forward motion, they pull things along with them. That's the eight. All right. So nines, how do nines respond when decisions are made that impact them? Yeah. So... Um, you know, n- nines and sixes both struggle with making decisions themselves. Uh, it's, a, it's really hard on them. When others make decisions that affect them, a nine's going to be tempted to merge with the group's opinion of the decision. So if the group says, we think this is a mm-hmm. great decision, the nine will be, yeah, that's a great decision. Yep. And if the group says, we don't like this decision, the nine will say, uh, yeah, I don't like the decision either, right? So one of the growth or transformational paths for nines is learning to individuate, find their own voice, assert it, name it, uh, you know, in whatever context they're in and follow what their gut tells them, hmm. you know, not and this what is the something they have them. to be reminded to do. You're saying, Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. this isn't intuitive for, for no, the, no, nine. because they avoid conflict, right? So they don't want to be the one person in the room who says, I, I don't agree with the rest of you. I think this is a good decision or a bad decision, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. That is not what a nine is going to want to do. They're not the contrarian. They are not the <laughs> contrarian at all. The six could be a contrarian, right? A one could be a contrarian. An eight for sure could be a contrarian. These are more aggressive numbers, right? Um, you know, nines want to keep the peace both internally and externally. So, you know, they're going to want to do be tempted to just go along to get along because everybody else's opinions feel stronger to them than their own, hmm. right? So they'll be like, well, geez, if everybody feels that strongly about it, I'll just roll with it. So here's what I've learned about nines. They're quiet in meetings mm-hmm. and I have to draw them out. Yes, I have to call them out by name and say, you know, I won't say the names because anyway, um, you know, Sarah, you know, what do you think? Because they will sit through a discussion and say nothing. And I right. know they have an opinion and they're smart. That's why they're at the table. But I generally, for the nines, I have to draw them out into the conversation. Is that yeah, and sometimes common? You, yes, it's so common. And it's so wise of you to do that because so I won't often, know what they're thinking otherwise. Well, there's that. And they also have a lot of wisdom because yeah. they have this supernatural ability to see things from everybody's perspective. Hmm. Okay, they they just are amazing at that, right? Seeing the world through everybody else's eyes, okay? Hmm. And so they often see, they'll see the big picture. Like for example, you have laser focused attention, right? The attention of a nine is diffuse, right? So it's taking in the whole, right? You, you can become so focused that you miss a lot of stuff going on around Absolutely, you, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. But the nine is picking it all up, right? And so sometimes they're going to have wisdom that you really need, mm-hmm. right? Now, 
what I might do in that situation is say, well, tell me what you're thinking, Sarah. And then Sarah will say something and I'll go, now, Sarah, I'm going to ask the question again just to give you another opportunity. What are you really thinking about this? Hmm. Because their first temptation might be they're looking around the group, don't want to have conflict. You know, they're feeling a little cornered, you know, like a raccoon in the garage, you know, and they're, they're, they're just a little spooked, right? And then just gently say, great, I really value your opinion. Is that all you want to say? Because I really welcome you to, to yep. be full-throated about your thoughts on this topic. Is it um, correct to say that an unhealthy nine is most inclined to be passive-aggressive because yes. they're unable or unwilling to break with that kind of internal drive not to not to create problems but now i've made a decision that's going to negatively impact or it's going to be a hassle or it's just going to it's it's going to be it's not going to be what they want to do but they're not necessarily going to push back like an eight you can read their an eight's body language yes. oh you know you don't have to finish the sentence it's like i i sense some resistance but the nine again if i don't draw it out yep. but then they're going to leave the room or leave the decision and i've seen uh, you know passive aggressive tendencies with totally. nines yeah so when they're not very healthy Here's what this is another one of their crazy superpowers. They will they can look at you like they agree with you and you'll be convinced they agree with you, but they will never have said it, right? But there's just something that makes you feel like they're agreeing with you when inside they they they're thinking no way, Jose, right? Hmm. And the way that that passive aggressiveness gets expressed is through stubbornness. Just kind of You'd be feeling like as the plan goes along, you're marching down, feel that someone's got their hand on the emergency brake and mm, they keep yep, pulling up yep. on it and they're slowing down right. or, or whatever. So their, their anger, an eight's anger externalizes. Mm -hmm. As you know, a one's anger goes inward at yourself, that self-critical yep, spirit, right? Yep. For the nine, they'll go, what anger? I don't even, I've never been angry in my life, right? They're unaware of their own anger. And so it comes out sideways. Mm. Oh wow! Right, it and that's leaks that passive aggressive. Sideways, yeah. 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 So you, you, you yeah, you want to make sure, for example, if you have made a decision, right, um, and you relay it to the nine, you want to get a verbal answer from them that they are they are with it or not. You don't want to just say, "Oh, they look like they agreed." Yeah, they nodded. They not mm -hmm. maybe it's just even in the eyes. They're just kind of looking at you. And because they didn't say no, you assumed yes. I, with nines all the time, I'm saying, now listen, that this is the plan. I need to hear a verbal yes or no that you are or not on the board. Now, my wife's a nine, and I, we've had this conversation before, you know, like yeah. I need a verbal. <laughs> you, know? you know, going back to last month, we talked about um, the decision that we made to um, suspend our worship services for, for several months. And in the when we made the decision, again, there were about 12 people in the room. And I remember now that we're having this conversation, I, I was, I wondered, I want to know what everybody thought. And I could see we had about five people on a Zoom call on a big screen, and then the rest were in the room. And I could sense all of this. And I remember now, I actually called on the nine and said by name, what do you think? I knew I needed to hear a voice connect a head nod wasn't enough because this was a big decision yeah and and yeah this person was was for it but i i remember intuitively you know i want to make sure we're yeah. you know and if you can tell them it's because see a nine 
grows up and the message they hear is your presence and voice don't matter. Hmm. You're, you, they feel less important than other people. And other people's opinions just feel so much stronger to them than their own. So you, if you call them out and say, I really value what you have to say. In other words, your presence really matters here. Your voice matters. What do you think? And I think we're always surprised that they have wisdom that no other number Absolutely. has. Absolutely. Yeah, that, again, if they're sitting at your leadership team table, they're there for a reason. They've accomplished yep. something. They're, they're a value add. And not to get 100% of the value that they add is a, is a loss for the, the team and the organization. Absolutely. Anthony, that was rich, man. Yes, it was. Didn't you love that? I loved it. You know, the Enneagram is this amazing framework. And, and what it does is it helps us to develop compassion. And to, it helps us to see the world through the lens that other people see it through. We all do things, even some of the same things, but for different reasons. Like decision making. Yes. Right? And that's what this was all about. Yep. And so... You know, I don't know if people realize this, but if they want to learn more about the Enneagram and how to use it in the business world, yeah. all they got to do is visit typologyinstitute.com slash work. That's typologyinstitute.com slash work. Yeah, and they'll find all kinds of resources there. And it's, uh, yeah, it's super, super helpful. This was Rich, dude. Thank you. Yeah, man. Give our people some love and sign us off. Oh, man. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. May you have rest. Until next time, friends.